0: Today we're going to begin a series on wisdom. Typically when this topic comes up, people sort of immediately think of King Solomon, right? He's said to have been the wisest of all men. Uh, Scripture even backs up this claim in 1 Kings 4, 29-32, where we read that God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. And breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezrahite and Heman, Calcol, and Darda the sons of Mahol. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. Now, Ethan wrote Psalm 89, and so we kind of get a glimpse of his wisdom there. Uh, Heman, Calchol, and Darda were sons of Mahol, and though we don't have any writings by them, they were clearly considered to be very wise. Right? And we have to remember that uh, the children of Israel primarily relied on conveying knowledge and wisdom by word of mouth for much of their history. Uh, in fact, even though we know that Solomon did write many of the proverbs contained in the book by this name, It's also been established that many of the wise sayings existed before he did so. Uh, That they came down through the culture and that he had them written down alongside his own sayings. Uh, They may have come from any number of other sources, including the ones mentioned in the first king's passage. Now, out of curiosity, I looked up the ten wisest people in history. And I found names like Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Confucius. Buddha, Lao Tzu, if I said that right, Mahatma Gandhi, Mother Teresa, and even Nelson Mandela. And I found it fascinating that none of the lists I found included Jesus. I just thought that was (laughs) weird. We'll get back to that in a bit, I guess. Uh, As I thought about it, I thought about how our culture sort of stereotypes wisdom. Uh, For some reason, one of the first characters who came to mind Uh, is from a kid's movie called Kung Fu Panda. Anybody ever see Kung Fu Panda? It's Goofy Walter, you won't like it though. (laughs) Um, But it's a silly animated movie about animals who learn and practice Kung Fu to save the world, right? Or at least their world. Uh, And in the movie, the Kung Fu master is this very old turtle named Oogway. And at one point, uh, as they're kind of worrying about this villain escaping prison and coming, uh, one of his disciples says, well, yeah, I'm going to go do this and this and this to stop it. And Uguay says, one often meets his destiny on the road he takes to avoid it. All right? Now, that idea exists in most ancient stories. We, we find it in a lot of places. It didn't origi- originate with Uguay in Kung Fu Panda. But uh, we find it in, uh, if anybody ever heard of Aesop's fables, right? Aesop, the ancient Greek writer of fables, It's in some of his stuff. Uh, Greek playwright Sophocles wrote a a play called Oedipus Rex, and that's the whole premise of that story. Now, it was originally stated in these exact words by a guy named Jean de la Fontaine, a French author of poetry and fables who lived from 1621 to 1695. And it's been quoted and restated ever since, including one example by my favorite author, J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote in one of his stories that a man that flies from his fear may find that he has only taken a shortcut to meet it? Now, this is one example, just one example, of a wise saying that has made its way across various cultures down through history, and it shows up in an animal, uh, an animated children's movie, said by a turtle who knows kung fu. I don't know. Uh, so, before we get into the text, though, let's talk really quickly about what wisdom actually is. A lot of people get it mixed up with knowledge, as if the two are sort of synonymous, but knowledge is simply a matter of having information, of knowing things, right? Wisdom is knowing what to do with the information you have, how to live as a result. There are plenty of people who have various levels of knowledge. And some are even incredibly smart in a given field. But wisdom is something else. Wisdom isn't a matter of having a high IQ or top-notch test scores, anything like that, or whatever other standard of measure we might try to use. Wisdom is a matter of how we live. Of how we interact with others in the world around us. It's a matter of who we are in the eyes of those watching us. And it's based on how we act in given situations. This basic premise is actually at the heart of Scripture. It can be found in the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 20, verse 7, Israel is told, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now I grew up thinking this meant I wasn't supposed to use God as a cuss word, right? That's pretty much what we all think. But that's not really what this, that means at all. Now it's not, I'm not saying go around saying cuss words with God's name. That's not what I'm saying. But that's not what that means. The key Hebrew words used in this command are nasa, which means to lift, take, or carry, and shov, which means emptiness or vanity. But the connotation is of doing something falsely, of being deceptive. In other words, the command means don't be deceptive about claiming to carry God's name. Does that make sense? Do not take on and carry God's name unless you mean it. More simply, don't claim to be a child of God and then live unjustly. And we might think of it as if you say you're a Christian. Live like Christ. In short, the question is, who are we? And what does it look like to be who we are? This is what the wisdom of Scripture is meant to teach us. Which brings us to the Proverbs. In the ancient world, a proverb was a short saying that relayed uh, an accepted truth, sort of societal thing. In a culture with no writing, and we have to understand, writing is a recent development in the history of you know the world. Uh, but in a culture with no writing, it was a way of passing on wisdom from generation to generation. Now we still have these types of sayings, such as a picture is worth a thousand words. Right? We kind of all know that one. Uh, or if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Don't fix it. <laughs> right? Simple. That may or may not be written down somewhere, but we just sort of know those, as we've heard them enough, people have said them enough. The ones we have written down in the book of Proverbs weren't written down for the first time there, or even in other biblical books necessarily. They were passed on by word of mouth. Even Solomon may have gathered many of these things from that sort of method. But then as writing on scrolls began to become more common, these sayings got written down. In other words, the biblical authors borrowed many of these sayings from wherever they may have found them. It might have been Egypt. There may have been Syria or Babylon that where they first heard these things. Paul even does this in Acts 17, 27-28. When making a point about humanity being created by God, he wrote this, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him, Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for, and then he quotes, in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. Paul said that in Athens. He's talking to the Greeks, to Athenians, and he's quoting their own people to show them the wisdom of God. It's fascinating, right? But in short, all true wisdom is God's wisdom, right? Just like I've said before, all truth is God's truth, wherever we find it. Same with wisdom. All true wisdom is God's wisdom, wherever we find it. Now, I know that was a long intro. I get it. But let's get into the text and see what wisdom uh, we can discover there. So follow along with me. We're going to read in Proverbs 1, And I'm going to jump a a bit, so I'll I'll tell you where we're at. We're going to start in verse 2. Okay. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. For fools despise wisdom and instruction. Then we're going to jump over to verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets she raises her voice.
1: At the head of the noisy
0: streets she cries out, and at the entrance of the city gates she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called you and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand, and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge, and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. May God bless the reading of this word. Amen. Okay, so, Solomon began his collection of Proverbs by stating the purpose of the collection, to know wisdom. And the Hebrew word used there is yadah, and it means to know, but it's the same word used in Genesis 4.1, where we read that Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore a son. And this word for knowledge is an intimate, relational word. Knowledge. That's what it means. Solomon was saying that the purpose of collecting these wise sayings was to have an intimate relational knowledge of wisdom. Not so much in a sexual way, of course, as we read in Genesis 4, but in a very personal and active way. And in a way that is relational. Because wisdom, it doesn't exist in empty space, right? It's a matter of how we live and interact with each other. Solomon went on to say as much in the next few lines, talking about wise dealing and righteousness, equity, prudence, and discretion. Now these are all ways that we interact with each other or fail to interact with each other. It pretty much shoots down the whole idea of the wise old person sitting alone on top of a mountain somewhere dispensing wisdom if you climb up to them. It's much more down to earth, much more right where we are, much more neighborly, much more about the community that we live in. And then Solomon got to verse 7 where we find sort of the basic thesis of this entire collection. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I said wisdom, I meant knowledge, I'm sorry. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what did Solomon mean when he wrote that? Well, I really like how pastor and author Eugene Peterson translated this. Uh, He has a Bible called the Message Bible. He translated the whole Bible, basically. Uh, And in this particular passage, this is how he wrote it. Start with God. The first step in learning is bowing down to God. Only fools thumb their noses at such wisdom and learning. So that's where we begin our journey into wisdom. We start with God. And to start with God means we have to believe in God, right? And this belief is more than simply a sort of nod of the head to the notion that there is such thing as a God. It's about recognizing who God is, of acknowledging God's place in the order of things, and then recognizing ours as well. The wisdom we are talking about starts with this, that God is that God has always been, that God will always be. Amen. We read in 1 Timothy 6.16 that God alone has immortality. That means that only God is self-sustaining. Or to put it another way, only God can be without any help from anywhere else. Right? As for us, we need God in order to exist. We need God for there to be a universe and a sun with a little ball of all the right ingredients for life. We need God for the air we breathe, the ground we walk on, the water we drink. But God doesn't need any of that. Like the Lord told Moses in Exodus 3.14, I am who I am. And Jesus echoed this idea in John 8.58 when he told the people before Abraham, I am. And what all this means in terms of Proverbs 1-7 is that if we want to start with God, we have to recognize and acknowledge God as God. And for the next several weeks, this is what we'll be talking about. The wisdom that begins with recognizing and acknowledging God as God. And what that looks like then in our everyday lives, like how that sort of plays out for us, And it's incredibly important because wisdom has to do with how we live, right? As theologian uh, John Goldingay puts it in his commentary that I read this week, the connection between what goes on in the head and what goes on in the life immediately appears in the link between wisdom and discipline. Increasing in wisdom is tied up with increasing in discipline. In contrast to this, the opposite side of the spectrum, Is foolishness. The foolishness of not recognizing or acknowledging the Lord. The foolishness of hating the very idea of anything greater than ourselves. And I could rant and rave about this for hours. Not four, but a bunch. (laughs) For hours. I'm sure we all could, right? Our culture would have us believe that we are on the top of the heap, right? That everything depends on us and that we are the greatest thing there is. In psychology, the name for this disorder is narcissism. It's the name taken from a Greek mythological story where the demigod Narcissus fell in love with his own reflection in a pond and then he sat gazing at it until he died. The Greeks thought that people who were self-absorbed and self-centered like this were a danger to themselves and others. Our culture seems to denounce narcissism on the one hand, while encouraging it on the other. We say we want our famous people to be humble, but we envy their lavish lifestyles. Stuff like that. According to what Solomon said, and what we will see unfold over the next few weeks, this is pure foolishness. And it is, in fact, dangerous. So, we're going to jump ahead now to verse 20. We're going to see some of this play out. When Solomon wrote that wisdom cries out in the street, he's using a form of personification, right? It's a literary tool. Uh, Santi talked about this uh, a little bit last Sunday when he gave the introduction. Uh, For wisdom. And he talked about personification, about how wisdom is personified so that we're able to see it and picture and imagine sort of this playing out. And wisdom is pictured as a woman who calls out in the street, in the marketplace, and at the city gate. This is a poetic way of saying wisdom speaks in the public arena where people gather in order to be heard
1: in other words wisdom
0: isn't meant to be a secret wisdom is bold it's not shy or skittish wisdom is right out in the middle of everything making herself known and her message is both a warning and a rebuke we don't like to be rebuked right we don't even really like being warned most of us Our culture has instilled in us a sense that we know what is best for ourselves. But that's a lie, and it's foolishness. It's like we are headed toward disaster, and we're busy brushing off the very one who would turn us away from that toward lives of flourishing. Wisdom calls this way of life simple. And the Hebrew word used there comes from the root word "patal," which means to be spacious or wide open. In other words, wisdom is saying that foolish people are wide open, that they will believe anything. Their minds are spacious when it comes to their thoughts and beliefs. But not just that, they sneer at actual knowledge. When truth is presented, they scoff. At it. This is especially evident when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus. Now a vast majority of people will agree that Jesus was a good person, right? He was a good teacher. But when it comes to the resurrection and the empty tomb, there is simply unbelief. They don't accept it. It's not that they can't wrap their minds around it. It's actually a supernatural thing. We see this in Luke 24, 45-46 where Jesus was teaching the disciples and Luke wrote that then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Now Solomon didn't know about Jesus or the resurrection as far as we know. But this is the same principle. Wisdom is out in the public square calling on people to stop just believing in anything and start believing in something. Something very specific. In verse 23, we discover something else about this personified wisdom. It's kind of fascinating. She isn't just some random woman. She had an offer for the foolish people. If they would turn away from their foolishness, she would pour out her spirit to them and make her words known to them. Now that's really interesting language because it only appears in a couple of other places of Scripture. In Joel 2.28, where the Lord promised to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And then in Acts 2, where that actually happens, as the Holy Spirit arrives at Pentecost. And fills the disciples and then the whole crowd. And Peter recognized what was happening, and then he even quoted in his sermon, he quoted Joel 2, connecting the promise with the event. But what does that mean for Proverbs 123? There are a number of directions we could take this, and we can talk for a long time about this stuff. We can talk about how the wisdom of God is personified as a woman who offers to pour out her spirit on those who return from their foolishness. We can talk about that for a while. We can discuss how what Solomon wrote is actually a precursor to the promise made in Joel 2, and then fulfilled in Acts 2, how it's all connected. But ultimately, I think the thing we need to pay close attention to this morning is the offer being made. Because it's still on the table. We have to ask ourselves... Have we been foolish? Have we ignored or dismissed the wisdom of God in our own lives? Have we acted foolishly in the world when we should have been extending the wisdom of God? Do we need to listen to what wisdom is saying and turn away from our own foolishness? Maybe we think we aren't the foolish ones. It's those other Christians. But we look back at the past few days or weeks, what will we see? Have we always acted righteously? Has God's wisdom been our guide the whole time? Have we made every effort to bring peace and healing into the lives of the people that we interact with? If not, the offer is still available. Turn away from doing things under our own power. Turn away from doing things for ourselves. Start with God. If we do, the Spirit will be poured out on us. Which is a poetic way of saying we will be filled with the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, experiencing the wonder of God's wisdom nearness. We will better comprehend what God's will is and who we're supposed to be. But the alternative is also true because if we don't do this if we ignore wisdom and persist in the areas where we are being foolish the next few verses tell us what happens. Wisdom claims she will laugh at the calamity that ensues and mock those who bear it. Is this because God thinks calamity is funny? Or is it a poetic way of expressing the idea that ignoring wisdom will necessarily lead to calamity at some point, and it won't be wisdom's fault? We have talked about how God's wrath is a way of stepping aside to allow us the full brunt of our own choices, right? Isn't this basically the same thing? The lesson here is that to ignore wisdom is to embrace calamity, to run toward disaster rather than toward flourishing. Like if someone warned us about bears being up ahead on the trail and instead of turning around, we just kept on walking and ended up getting mauled. (coughs) Pardon me. I could tell the whole story about the time that I missed the sign and walked the window trail when bears were out. We won't go there. How foolish would it be if we ignored such a warning, if we just plowed ahead, if we thought we knew enough about bears to avoid any danger. Now, I don't know if any of you saw this video uh, of a bear attacking a lady's kayak. If you can find it, it's so funny. It's kind of annoying, but it's really funny. Um, If you watch the video, the lady tries to reason with the bear. She's explaining that there's no food in there, and she's screaming, like, there's no food in the kayak, what are you doing? Like, the whole time. And she's also consistently asking the bear why it's messing with the kayak like she's freaking out. And I'm not sure what she was thinking, honestly. I mean, it must have been pretty traumatic. There's a bear in the yard. You know, she's up in the woods in a cabin by a lake or a river. I forget what it was, but her kayak's out there, and here's this bear. But at the same time, you can't reason with a bear. I mean, as terrible as this sounds, I laughed when I watched her trying to have this conversation with a wild animal. Now, here's a bit of wisdom I learned without ever having to be around an afternoon bear. They are very unreasonable because they're bears. They're wild. And they're at the top of the food chain, right? Which means they can pretty much do whatever they want. And this is what calamity is like as well. If we pursue foolish choices to their end, we will meet with something wild and untamed that we cannot control. It may not be an actual bear, but it will bring disaster on us all the same. We see this play out in verses thirty-one through thirty-two, where the foolish eat the fruit they have cultivated. And as we read in Jeremiah six nineteen, where the prophet wrote that the Lord was bringing disaster upon this people, the fruit of their devices, because they have not paid attention to my words, and as for my law, they had rejected it. They, they turned their backs on God's wisdom. They chased after something else. And God just sort of stepped aside and said, okay, that's what you want. You can have it. And everything that comes with it. When I was about nine or ten, I was riding my bicycle, and I completely ignored my mom's warning to always look where I'm going. We lived on a sort of U shaped bend in the road in our neighborhood. <clears throat> and as I was rounding the corner, a friend was actually walking the other way. And I turned to say hi. And when I turned back, I ran smack into the back of a park station wagon. Like Not only was I humiliated, but it hurt too. And I'm pretty sure I messed up my teeth a bit. If I'd only listened, but I ignored the warning and I thought I had everything under control until slam! And that's a mostly harmless story from my childhood, but I imagine we could all swap stories like this from our adulthood as well, right? At some point, we have to start with God. We have to pull away from our stubborn, foolishness, and lean into God's wisdom. If we do, there's a promise attached. We will have the Spirit poured out on us. And as we see in verse 33, we will dwell secure and at ease with no fear of disaster, which doesn't mean we won't experience bad things. It just means we don't need to fear them. As for dwelling secure, this is more about our position as God's children. About the fact that the Lord will never leave or forsake us. We don't have to constantly be wondering if we have done enough to appease our God. This was especially true in the ancient world where every God demanded sacrifices and a person could never be sure where they stood. It's still true though. People are still making sacrifices to appease their gods, whatever they may be, to win favor, to earn their way into some amazing afterlife. But through the wisdom of God, Jesus became one of us and died as one of us to rescue all of us from that way of thinking, among other things from ever having, ever having to wonder if God will be with us, from ever having to worry about whether or not we are loved by our Creator. We can trust in the wisdom of our God. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to see how it shapes us and makes us who we are as God's beloved children. But the challenge for today as we close is to start with God. Will you pray with me?